0: For you to make that leap to a more fulfilling career. Amy Impelizari is my guest today. Amy is a former Big Law corporate litigator who leveraged a sabbatical opportunity to do freelance writing for a startup publisher. And after a year of that, she permanently left practice to lean into her interest in writing and is now, as she says, a writer who used to be a lawyer rather than a lawyer who writes. She's published five fiction novels and one nonfiction book called Lawyer Interrupted. And in 2022, she's going to be publishing her second nonfiction book along with co-author Liz Brown called How to Leave the Law topic i am sure you are all very interested in uh amy and i have a great conversation about creativity limiting beliefs that hold us back and prioritizing taking the time for exploration Uh, and for anyone who has thought about checking it all and becoming a writer i think you will love this interview And if you'd like more support, prioritizing, exploring your options, making time for fun and creativity, uh, come join the Illegal Design Facebook group. That's a lot of the stuff we talk about in there. All right, now to the episode. Enjoy. Amy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. So I start the same place all the time, which is what took you to law school in the first place?
1: Um, yeah, so I didn't want to go to medical school, I think is the answer. <laughs> well um, that seems reasonable, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm dating myself a bit here, but I was a child of the eighties and nineties, so you know, I think LA Law was a big factor.
0: Oh, I loved LA Law. Yeah. You were not my first guest to point that out. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I totally watched that show. Yeah, like every That's week.
1: perfect. I mean, yeah. you know, I was I was a good student. I was a high achieving student. I had, you know, big plans, big ambitions. And, you know, I'm only being a little bit facetious when I said I say I really didn't want to go to medical school, so law school seemed pretty natural. And I was a writer, I was always a writer. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was always like the girl who was walking in the room narrating the scene in my head, I had my journals. And, and so that seemed like that was going to translate into um, the legal field. And so I started college, you know, always knowing that my straight line path was headed towards law school. And eventually it was.
0: Yeah. So did you go directly to law school from undergrad?
1: I did. I did. I went to undergrad. I went to a a liberal arts college in Pennsylvania, Dickinson College, and I majored Mm -hmm. in English and philosophy because I didn't like political science. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. um, basically, you know, I went to George Washington Law School right after undergrad and and clerked and then uh, clerked for two years in Washington, D.C. and then started at a boutique law firm. I had a pretty, you know, fairly, you know, traditional trajectory at that point.
0: Yeah. So, Your experience in law school, was it what you expected? Did it sort of, you're like, yep, this is what I'm doing, moving on?
1: Yes, it was very expected. Um, I think I I loved being in Washington, D.C. for law school. I thought there were Hmm. opportunities and things that were happening in D.C. that just felt very unique, and yeah. you know, it's I, my
0: hometown, so I'm, oh, I'm partial to it. <laughs> okay, that's so funny
1: because not not many people call DC their hometown. It's a passing through town, so that's fun. <laughs>
0: I know. I grew up right on Capitol Hill,
1: oh, right in the middle of it. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I loved so. DC. I actually always say I left DC kicking and screaming because I really would have stayed there and 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 probably uh, ultimately practiced law there for a while more. But um, yeah, I ended up moving away.
0: Yeah. For a man. So (laughs) Doesn't that always happen?
1: (laughs) So, so what was your practice like? So I started out, I clerked for the Court of Federal Claims, which is, you know, the court that handles um, claims against the government and Mm -hmm. a lot of tribal claims, but I actually worked in the vaccine court. So I had a very niche Mm -hmm. position and I we had national jurisdiction, and it was a very unique program. I actually had written a paper about the program for my third-year products liability course, and um, managed to leverage that into a clerkship, which was really awesome. So yeah. we, you know, we heard these vaccine claims. They were pulled out of the tort system. It was a very unique program, and I got to travel all over. And I, it cemented my idea that I, that I wanted to be a litigator. I really knew I wanted to be a litigator then. So I started. I was in DC for the clerkship and then I moved to the New York area and I actually moved first to a boutique firm doing insurance defense. But then we also had a number of self-insured clients and we were national counsel for Amtrak, which was some really Hmm. fun, interesting work. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, um, was there for a couple of years and then I got courted by Scott and Arps and I jumped ship and I moved into New York and I, um, Worked for Skadden for what I thought was going to be a co- in the mass torts department, doing litigation, yeah. and I thought, well, I'll I'll do this for like a couple of years, right, and yeah. I'll make some money, and I'll use it for something else, and then I was there a decade. A decade later, I woke up and said, I can't believe I'm still here. <laughs> so. Yeah. So
0: when you started, I mean, listen, Skadden in New York is like,
1: yeah, yeah, it big law,
0: you know, you kind of know what. You know what that is when you get into,
1: yeah. It, right? yeah. I knew why I was doing it, and I knew what to yeah. expect.
0: But so, um, but you yeah. knew that you didn't. You, you like, did you know right off the bat that you had sort of a, an expiration date there, or was it just? Um, it, and did that expiration date, if you had it, mean practicing law? Or just working no. at, you know, big law in New
1: York? that. No, person. I, I, I'd never expected to leave the law. I really thought I would yeah. always practice law. I didn't think that I would always practice law in big law. Um, and right. I remember actually, you know, I remember going into the partner's office at my first firm and telling him that I had taken this offer at Skadden. And I was literally, I had, you know, I had tried my first case. Um, I had tried my first solo trial, you know when I was like 28 and I had a full doc, you know, full docket of trial cases. And, and also I was doing appellate work and I really was doing a lot of interesting work there, but yeah. it was, it was a smaller firm and the opportunities I felt like were, were not necessarily the same as they were at Scadden. So I went in and I mm-hmm. told him I had taken this position at Scadden and he said to me, you're, why you're going to be miserable there. It's not a place for you. And I just thought that sounded so crazy. Like, you know, why wouldn't you go to Skadden if you had an opportunity? That was what was in my brain right. at the time. Right. And he was very, you know, level with me and said, you know, I really just don't think it's the right fit for you. And I think you're going to be miserable and we're going to keep the door open for you here. And if you want to come back, you have, you know, a lot of opportunities here. If you want to do strictly trial work, if you want to do strictly a pilot work, if there's something we can say, yeah. Um, to keep you, let us know something other than matching your scat and salary.
0: And so, right, right. <laughs> that was, sort of, that was sort those, of the- those sound like really nice offers. It just yeah. depends
1: what your priorities are at a given right. moment. And I yeah. will say that at the time, it just felt it felt like uh, something I just needed to do. And yeah. so I thought I would do it, and I thought you know we'll see what happens and we'll see what doors it opens. And for a long time, actually, I, I, for a long time, he would call me for you know a couple of years. He would call me occasionally, especially when one of my cases was you know, up on appeal or something had happened, some favorable yeah. outcome had happened on a case I had worked on, he would call and follow up with me and say, are you still, are you still happy there? Are you going to stay there? And I didn't want to admit to him that that he was right. Cause I knew pretty quickly, you know, that that really was yeah. my, end, my end game, my end destination. Yeah. But I also didn't want to leave after a year or two. I felt like I really hadn't put in the time a- at that point. So I stayed and um, yeah. And then like I said, you know, a year turned into two, turned into ten, which was pretty, pretty. Yeah, it felt pretty quick. At the
0: time. Yeah, I and, mean, nine, ten years is a long time to be in big law. So, wh- wh- was there like, did you just wake up and you're like, oh, whoops, it's a decade? Yeah, yeah
1: almost. <laughs> I mean, it, wow. it was like that. No, I, ha- I ended up having, I ended up having kids. So, I ended up having three kids while I was there. Yeah, and um, and so that got. Increasingly hmm. more gruesome, and then
0: I <laughs> and then I had a friend at I- my firm that would just have a kid like every summer. She's like, I'm trying to have. She had four, and oh my I-, I practiced in Boston where having four kids seemed to be like regular um wow, and she's just so like funny. she would just try and time it so that she would have the
1: summers off she's like what am I going to do when I have to stop having kids right, right. I sort <laughs> of felt like that too I had kids yeah. every two years for a while and then yeah. and then I and I would take you know I'd save up all my time and yeah. take off for six months yeah and I would, and I would sort of think, okay, this is actually keeping that, that sort of kept me at Scadden, ironically. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those breaks <laughs> every two years of yeah. having a baby was actually a little respite from the
0: <laughs> schedule <at Scadden. laughs> It's a real testament to what the job is.
1: <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I never said that out loud until now. And I just realized how crazy that is, but that's exactly what happened. So the yeah. truth is um, a lot of people always ask me, you know, well, how could you have had kids when? worked Scadden, but the reality is, it probably kept me there for another yeah. Yeah. four to five years that. beyond what I would have. Yeah, and then that makes sense. <laughs> I and then I decided I wasn't going to have any more kids, so I better leave, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I you know what happened really was I was really burnt out and I was really struggling and I was really trying to figure out how it was all gonna um, how it was all gonna play out. But I wouldn't have left but for. Lehman Brothers collapsing, to be honest with you. Oh, because, I remember that day. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, you know, very vividly, um, yeah. you know, it was a very big shockwave in the legal community. And yeah. we, you scadden, decided pretty early on not to do any layoffs or any um, real substantial downsizing at that time. And the litigators were all, you know, because litigation is impervious to economic downturn. So we were yeah. really busy and, and could barely notice that anything was going on outside our walls. But all the transactional attorneys were were afraid and were yeah. um, it was a time of great tension. And so yeah. Skadden ended up offering this program called, which got a lot of press at the time, called Sidebar Plus, where they allowed people to apply for a one-year subsidized sabbatical and the goal was really they hoped. I would have taken that, that so quickly. Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. When that memo showed up in my inbox, I felt yeah. like the universe was just answering like a prayer on a wind. Yes. I mean, it was just so crazy that that was being offered to me. But yeah. but the irony was that the litigators were the ones who were applying for it, obviously. And the administration had expected that the transactional lawyers would right. apply for it. But the transactional lawyers, of course, breeds a huge sigh of relief when they saw this because they thought, oh, well, this means we're not getting fired. So we're going to stay here, do nothing for our full salary. And yeah. we're going to not apply for the sabbatical. And that's what happened. And so all the litigators applied for the sabbatical. And at first, the head of my department wasn't going to let me go. And she said, you know, you can't, you can't go, you're too busy. And I said, it's just a year, just give me a year. And I basically negotiated this, this sabbatical for myself, not really knowing if I would come back or not, but just sort of hoping that the answer that I'd have clarity at the end of the year. Right. You know, so
0: at that point, were you just sort of like, Burnt out and just like all I can say is that I need a
1: break, or did you have sort of an idea about what might be well? I put together a whole plan. Uh, I told them that I was going to do this ad. I mean, I ended up doing it, I ended up uh, doing advocacy work and and pro bono work. And I did, and I but really what I wanted to do that I kind of downplayed when I was applying for the sabbatical is I wanted to write. And yeah. so I started applying for some freelance writing, but I did do the other work. I ended up working for this, um, nonprofit group called a better balance and doing advocacy work for working families. And I actually loved it because it was a chance to sort of spread my wings and learn a little bit about a nonprofit and, yeah. uh, and, and something that mirrored a startup company, which is where I ultimately landed after that. But, yeah. um, you know, I really I ca- I the year I knew the year was like a ticking clock from the minute I walked out the door. I thought I have a year, exactly a year I have to yep. make this count. And the pre- I felt the pressure of it. I really did. not so I was very intentional. I was very deliberate about everything I did. I always say I call it like the year of me. I really didn't finish books I didn't want to read. I didn't finish meals that weren't good. I didn't yeah. really, you know, talk to my mother in law that much that year. Like I really (laughs) was like, this is a year that I have to do the things that I need to do. And by the end of the year, I was writing, I was doing freelance work for a nonprofit or for I'm sorry, for a startup group Mm -hmm. that ultimately I ended up negotiating a full time gig with a couple of years later. And it, it just was really a very transitional year, but a very productive year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean that's amazing to have that opportunity. I mean that doesn't just fall into everybody's <laughs> lap no, for sure. <laughs>
1: no, it wasn't. That's why I say I just felt like the universe was really yeah, this huge yeah. yeah.
0: So you did not go back to practice.
1: So no. So at the end of the year, I was doing a, some part-time work for this startup company. I had this idea that it might I might be able to leverage it. What kind something. of work were you doing for them? Yeah. So it was a group called Hybrid Her. And they were, they had been a print magazine uh, that was supporting women entrepreneurs and they were moving to a strictly digital content site and um, hoping to incorporate like an e-commerce component onto the site too. And so there was this, and they were venture capital funded, this group in Nashville was funding them, but the creative team was in New York and the creative team, I, 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 um, befriended some of them. And I was doing like some, some writing for them and doing some of the interviews of, for the, entrep- the women entrepreneurs and writing their stories and helping them craft like more compelling stories. And, and also just sort of sitting in on, on staff meetings and just trying to kind of ingratiate myself into the, the culture. And the, the creative team would constantly say to me, we're, we're constantly asking the lawyers for things. And they didn't need their own lawyers, right? They had their own lawyers, but they'd say we're constantly yeah. asking the lawyers for things and they're constantly saying no. And and I would say to them, well, that's because you've asked for, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you need to ask for it this way. And ultimately, yeah. I became the, the, the translator between the creative team and the legal team. And it was the first ah. time I realized that there was actually something I could do with my law degree that wasn't practicing traditional law. It was so exhilarating to realize yeah. that. And um, yeah, so that's how I started out. And then ultimately... I did start doing more and more work for them and then ultimately I negotiated um, an executive position for myself. And it was really funny because I was talking with one of the lawyers when I was negotiating my full-time salary. And I was talking to the lawyer in Nashville, and he was saying, Well, you know, we want you to do negotiate with some of the outside vendors and we want you to do, you know, this and that. And he said, but you know, we're a startup company and we really can't pay you a lot of money. And it's going to be, you know, he threw this number out on the table that I kind right. of thought wasn't going to work. So I said, and then I said to him, well you want me to negotiate with your outside vendors and yet you also want to hire somebody who can't negotiate a fair salary for herself. That doesn't really make sense. (laughs) And so he was like, oh, all right. And so I realized again that my legal background was going to serve me well in this new chapter. And and I got the full-time position and I got the salary I wanted. And that began like a brand new chapter for me. Yeah.
0: Did you look back at all was there was it um were there any sort of like hang ups about leaving Sort of traditional practice of law at that point, or were you just after that year just so sort of off that path for yourself? You know,
1: I got further and further away from it. So yeah, there there weren't any um there weren't any you know real cold regrets. Certainly during that that first year, it was just I was moving on adrenaline, and as I got further and further away from it, and and honestly started to understand that um there were there were other things I could do. Yeah. And I, I really like, even, you know, I turned the, at the end of the year, I asked for a three-year leave of absence. So then I sort of was working in this three-year leave of absence. But then by the end of the three years, I knew I wasn't going back. Yeah. But I will say that, you know, still when I would see people, people would always ask me, you know, are you going to go back to practice law? Do you miss practicing law? And I think my answer got, my answer was always no, but I think yeah. it got firmer and more confident the the more time I spent away. And I did always fill the time with something, um, that I found productive, you know? So I really, I was very conscious that wherever this leads me, I don't really want to have a gap on my resume. I don't really want to have this big, you know, empty space. So I'm going to fill it somehow. And I just kept making kind of decisions that would do so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and it's a real, I think, sort of what you just said is the process of doing other things brings yeah. you the confidence yeah. that you can do other things. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it, I think that's the block for a lot of people is this, this false belief that, that they can't
1: do other things. It's, it's 100% the problem. And you you, you're sure that the only thing you're qualified to do is practice law. And the, the, the problem is the catch twenty two is you don't actually realize that that's not true until you leave the practice of law. Yeah. so you have yep. to just push yourself over that initial belief hurdle, and um, you know, I it it is does seem to be a universal truth amongst transitioning lawyers that they have discovered something they just didn't understand they were qualified to do or that their skill set, you know, sort of prepared them for until they left.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I always find this to be just such a funny quirk of our of our people. Yes. Like the smartest people learn all this very complicated stuff. And then they're like, yeah. And that's it. And I, I couldn't take this brain to another place.
1: Right. <laughs> and you know what's so funny too? I always think, I always think about how the law attracts such incredibly creative, innovative people.
0: Because mm-hmm. you know,
1: and then and then completely squashes that completely stifles that so that they forget how creative and interesting they are so that they're afraid to to go out and spread their wings. Because I, in my, you know, next chapter in my second life, especially when I was working with the women entrepreneurs, I would meet a lot of lawyers turned, you know, designers, lawyers turned um, artists. And so, and then even when I started writing, you know, people would say, oh, that's, that's so unusual, right? A lawyer who's also creative. And I would constantly point out to them the, the, the swarms of lawyers who actually um, are creative and, and turn to creative careers. And yep. I, I think people really underestimate how, how much uh, creatives are drawn to the law because law school i think kind of stamps that out i always call law school like the yeah. last legal pyramid be- scheme because it's trying to you know constantly just trying to feed you know feed the bottom rung yep. of the law firm uh, law firms and really doesn't allow for an avenue for all of these creative interesting people who have been attracted to law school in the first place
0: i totally agree and i'm yeah. currently very obsessed with this sort of overlap of creativity and lawyers yes. <laughs> so i've been thinking about it a lot yeah, And just how, you know, I said for many years, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. And right. I know people, we all say that at yes. some point. Yes, so it's we been do. Because beat out of us. Yeah. And it's just not true. But we've been living in this universe that doesn't value it in a certain, you know, and creativity comes in many forms, but it just doesn't Absolutely. feel like it's the thing that's valued. And so we push it away and get so disconnected from it.
1: I used Um, to, I worked in the, I had like a very visual um, metaphor for this dilemma every morning because I worked, Skadden was in the Condé Nast building in Times Square um, mm -hmm. for the whole time I worked there. And so you would literally walk in the door and all of the people who worked for Condé Nast and Vogue and all of their assets would be, would go to the right. And then all the lawyers (laughs) in their navy blue suits would go to the left. And I would stand back and I would watch it happening and I would think to myself, I want to be where the beautiful people are. I want to go in that direction.
0: But I I would think to myself,
1: I can't. I have to go in the other direction. I have to go. I know.
0: I had that exact experience Uh, working at Fordham Fordham Law School when Fashion Week used to be at Lincoln Center. And so you'd be like, well, it's very clear where everybody here is going. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. It's so true. That's so great. That's great. I love that you knew that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I totally, yeah. So I think people just disengage from that and then they think they don't have it. And you know, it's not just like, oh, I'm creative. I can draw a picture creative. Right. It's it's thinking creativ- creatively about your future even, right. right? Just like, you
1: know, like not just having tunnel vision. Right. And see, the interesting thing was when I did work at the boutique firm, I did, I was allowed more creativity. I was allowed to creatively negotiate my cases and creatively yeah. settle my cases. And I was allowed more autonomy. And, and in, in hindsight, you know, the partner that um, tried to dissuade me from going to Scadden was 100% right about me and about what my right. strengths and, and really like what my fit was going to be. But right big law really, you know, really does not allow a lot of creativity. And I think it's a very difficult, some people do really well there, obviously. um, And some people really thrive there. And some people, you know, do spend their the bulk of their careers there. But for, you know, people like you or I, I don't necessarily know if it's the end destination.
0: Yeah. And speaking of creativity, you have, you know, transitioned since the you know, the startup
1: into a whole new world. Yeah. So what happened was I, you know, I did not leave the law to write, not to write fiction or not to write a book. I really left, as you can hear, to catch my breath. But while I was doing, uh, working for the startup company and I ended up working there for about three or four years, I was reconnecting with writing, which was something that I had pursued, you know, or I had, that had been a hobby or an interest of mine all my life. And I reconnected with the writing and oddly enough, or maybe not oddly enough, got an idea yeah. to write a story about a woman who was at a crossroads in her life and really reevaluating every choice that she had ever made. And um, <laughs> it was not autobiographical, but it was obviously inspired by the the, the sort of place I was living in at that right. point. And I decided to try and start writing it. So for years, you know, literally for three or four years, I'd be working on this book on the side in secret late at night and I'd put it away and I'd come back to it. And I think, is there, is there something here? And every time I came back to it, I would realize, yes, there's something here. And eventually I started to understand that I had almost a finished product and, and that there was probably something I should do about that. That was, unknown to me because unlike law school where you take the LSATs, you go to law school, you get a clerkship. There was like a straight line path. You know what it is in publishing. It's, it was, you know, a complete mystery to me. And so I ended up, I started going to some writing conferences and I started networking with some professional writers and I did because I was working for this startup company in which, you know, my mentor was a New York city magazine editor who had some connections in the publishing industry. She was very helpful in terms of sort of helping me understand, okay, who were the, who are the people I should at least be talking to um, to figure out what next steps are. So yeah, eventually, I mean, four years later, well, in 2013, right. So um, which is four years after I, after I started my sabbatical, I ultimately um, my book did find a place with a publisher and then I ultimately got a literary agent and um, started selling more books. So now I have five published novels and, uh, actually, my first book was nonfiction. So an agent reached out to me based on some uh, some writing I was doing in a business journal, and and knew about my sabbatical, and knew about the sidebar plus, Plus. and like I said, it was yeah. receiving some press. And she wanted to pitch this book to the American Bar Association, called Lawyer Interrupted, and she said I think they'd be they would be interested in it if you were writing it. So we worked on the pitch together because I thought it was so interesting. Like the ABA is not going write- to you know, publish a book about leaving the law, are they? And, but, yeah. but ultimately when we worked at the pitch, I said, well, this is really about the versatility of the law degree, which is something that I had sort of figured out, you know, early on in the journey. Yeah. And that's what we pitched. And so they greenlighted that, that project. And so actually my first, my first contract that I signed was for a nonfiction book. And that, that contract did ultimately help me to land the contract for my fiction book. Um, Yeah, which was published first. But yeah, so now I have five published novels and one published nonfiction book. Yeah, which has been really interesting to me, because I definitely did not when I was negotiating with the head of my department at Scadden saying, please just give me a year. I I definitely did not think I was leaving for this, this, you know, exact path. So it's been really fascinating to me to see how it's evolved. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think that's such an important Lesson two is that, you know, you often don't know what that path is going to be. And every little decision you make, you know, put yourself in a position of, you know, leveraging your law degree working at this uh, startup, but it also had, you know, people in that world that have helped connect. You just can't, you could never have like predicted that this was a series of of events. You couldn't plan it. (laughs) I couldn't have. I could never have planned it.
1: But I was very observant and I was very intentional. And I tried to, um, you know, just basically make choices along the way that were going to be, that were going to move me forward and not backward. And yeah, And that was really important. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I just think it's people...
0: They want the the final answer right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And well, it just lawyers, typically doesn't right? work that
1: way, right? <laughs> so right. We're lawyers, we, we want we want the likelihood of success at trial. We want to know the settlement range values. Um, you know, we're 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 good at you know metrics of success and things like that. Which you know it is definitely an adjustment when you leave the law. Those sorts yeah. of things that you have to shed, and um, and we are obviously a very risk averse. Demographic, yeah. and um, it's risky to walk away from something that's known in in a yeah. way. But it's also, you know, like I said, because something like the publishing industry and many other industries are like this that don't necessarily have, you know, a very hard and fast trajectory. It's not it's not like academia yeah. or you know other fields where these are the steps you have to go through to yeah. succeed. Um, it can be kind of liberating because I used to always say, oh, I have a very unorthodox, you know, story and journey to publication. But then I learned that everyone has their own yeah. story and journey to publication, which makes it so exciting um, and also frustrating for would-be writers who reach out to me and say, how can I do it? And, right. you know, my answer is usually sounds kind of ambiguous and and sounds like I'm evading the question, but it's, but I'm not because the truth is there are a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, Yeah, and and I'm definitely proof of that.
0: (laughs) So, what's sort
1: of like? What
0: is it like having a career in in writing? Like, how many different ways that must be different than practicing law?
1: Yeah, in (laughs) in every single way. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) in every
1: single way, except for the fact that, um, you know, it is about. I I do realize now how much of the law is storytelling, right? And I don't yeah. mean that in a like tongue-in-cheek. We're we're making up stuff way. I mean, it really yeah. is about crafting the story uh, in the way that's most favorable to your client. And um and I I remember actually at my first book signing, uh, somebody raised their hand and asked me a question that stumped me for years. And I don't even really remember how I answered it on the fly that night. I did. I kind of answered it. But they said to me, are you a writer who used to be a lawyer or are you a lawyer who now writes? Hmm. And it took me years to really actually understand that question um, and to know really what my answer is. And I I will say now that I'm a writer who used to be a lawyer, but but I write like a lawyer. And so my stories, when I attack my stories, I'm definitely trying to figure out what are the plot holes? What would my adversary say? What would my adversary say is the weak argument? What would my adversary say is the good argument? And I yeah. definitely sketch my stories out that way. But, you know, the longer I am away from that world, I really do, I'm really comfortable embracing the notion that now I'm a writer, who used to be a lawyer. And um, it's, it's interesting because, like I said, you know, I think... You don't realize the skill set and the talents you have until you leave. And definitely, being a lawyer has helped me in the business of mm-hmm. publishing. I mean, I did—I actually negotiated my first book contract without an agent. I don't necessarily recommend that, but I did do it, and then yeah, I, that sort of you know helped me break into the publishing world. And then ultimately, I did get my own agent, and now I, I have a second agent. But um, actually, I've had I've had three agents in the business, which again. is also something that was, I was well prepared for having practiced law and, and I've always been comfortable like with the business of, of publishing. I have a lot of, uh, writer friends who just hate the business of publishing and are intimidated by it. And, and, and and it is intimidating and and there are things that are gruesome about it, but I've never really been, um, I've always been comfortable with it. And I often say to people, it is because I have this perspective of having practiced law and been in that world. Um, I have a certain, I just think I have a different perspective and a different appreciation for um, sort of compartmentalizing the business from the art writing. And that's been something that's been really helpful to me. Um, I think it's been something that's been a differentiator. I do hear that from a lot of transitioning lawyers, even when they're not practicing law or even when they're not representing themselves that there is a differentiator in the business side of their art or their work, um, having been in the law. And I have found that to be true for myself, too. Yeah.
0: I think that's so true. And it's, you know, how many creatives wish they had sort of that set of skills to bring with them to the table. And it's sort of like, you know, I wonder... And I think this is just kind of like American culture, but it's, we're required to sort of identify ourselves by our occupation, right? Are you a lawyer or
1: are you a writer? It's like,
0: well, maybe I'm just Amy and I have all of these things
1: going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, I remember actually for Lawyer Interrupted, I was interviewing Nathan Sawaya, who is a Lego brick artist. So I don't know if you know him, but he, he's really famous and he made like the little Lego brick, um, Oscars that were at the Academy. Yeah. The year. And he was saying to me that, you know, he was always artistic. He was always creative. And he says, you know, he's like, I, I basically did what any good, you know, art student from NYU does who doesn't have a job. I went to law school. And so <laughs> yeah. um, he ended up, you know, sort of in law school by accident but, and making his Lego creations um, at night as sort of like stress relief until he realized that he could make, make it some kind of com- commercial venture. And he talks a lot about how there were others. I always say like that. Well, that was really unique. You were making creations out of Lego bricks. But he says, no, there were others. There were other people in that space. But he said, because I was a lawyer, I could turn around commissions and contracts much more quickly in the art world than others. And so here I was. You know, he eventually, obviously, t- he, too, got representation and became hugely commercially successful. But in the beginning, the differentiator was that he understood the business, that he could negotiate for himself, that he could turn contracts around and commissions around yep. at a speed that others in that space could not. And that's yep. that, that part of his story is not unique for transitioning lawyers. And I think that's really important to note.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that is absolutely true. So Amy, I want to start wrapping up, but maybe you could give us like just one nugget of advice that you would give to sort of people thinking, I don't think I'm in the right place at this (laughs) firm. What should I do? Wait for Free sabbatical to,
1: (laughs) yeah, right. While you're waiting for your
0: sabbatical
1: memo to show up in your inbox. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, two big things. I always tell people like, don't run out the door at your lowest moment. Like don't leave Mm. at the worst moment of stress at the worst moment of, um, of, of burnout. Like don't leave in that place. Basically start using that, start using that adrenaline, start using that, that energy to craft your exit plan, but you're going to want the connections, the network, um, and the place on your resume to be, you know, at at, at its highest point, basically. So don't do that. So start crafting your plan. And then I do also tell people to try something on the side. And that's actually something I learned from Nathan Swaya too, the Lego brick artist. He talks about how he was doing these um, pieces of art on, at night, and and he was taking pictures of them, and he started an art blog. And to be honest with you, at the time he started it, I mean, it was probably like 2003, 2004. That was kind of an innovative thing.
0: Um, yeah. And
1: he was really just kind of throwing the, them out, up there to see if anybody was interested, if he, if he could garner any kind of price for them. And he said that one day his website crashed. And he realized it was because he had so many hits on the website, and that was the moment that he realized, okay, wait, I can actually do this as like a viable commercial venture. And so I always tell people, like, you know, I love the website crashing metaphor because you have to do something, right? You have to be active about it. But it's sort of like work on it on the side, explore something on the side, explore a side hustle, or or even you know, even if it's trying to um, join a board or get experience in a business that you wouldn't necessarily have have experience um you wouldn't be able to experience otherwise yeah try to explore that on the side even you know create your own sort of sabbatical even if you can't quit your job for a year spend a year of intentional exploration and and try to see if you can get your website to crash basically yeah Um, and that's sort of I think a good way for somebody who really can't wrap their head around the idea of jumping ship without a plan which I think is a valid viewpoint um, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's important for lawyers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What would you just say to someone who would be like, yeah, that sounds great, but you know what it's like to be at a big New York law firm. Yeah. Like, what, what time on the side are you speaking? Of? Yeah,
1: you do. You have time on the side, especially if you're formulating your exit plan. If you are yeah. gunning for partner, that's a different story. But um, if you are even forming this inquiry in your brain, you have, um, you have time, you're not taking the time, but you have it. That means take your vacation days. Oh my gosh, I was just gonna say that I took all four weeks of my vacation.
0: And when the downturn happened, I did not get laid off, despite all my hopes that I would.
1: Right, right. I can't can't fire you (laughs) for taking your vacation. Yeah. So take your vacation days that you are um, piling up and swearing that you're never going to take. Take your vacation days, take your Saturday and Sunday occasionally, um, you know, and just take your Thursday night and go to a board meeting once a month, just, you know, formulate your plan and you, you have the time, you just don't want to take it. And, um, you, you have to start, that's like the first step of, um, alleviating some of the Stockholm syndrome. And as soon as I, you start. So depri- true. Separating yourself <laughs> in those just baby steps. You know, take it slow. I was there. I get it. Take yeah. It yeah, you exactly. Will, you will find, you will find that you'll be able to do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You said, you know, you feel like the world's going to end if you send a boundary, but it, it won't. It won't. It won't. <laughs> so it won't. Um, all right, Amy, so tell us like what's on the horizon for you? What are what do you yeah. see down the road? What are the current projects?
1: Yeah, so actually, um, I am under contract to write a book called How to Leave the Law, which is um sort of the follow-up to Lawyer Interrupted. Lawyer Interrupted was published by the American Bar Association in 2015. Um this mm-hmm. Brown is um a Harvard grad who is a business law professor and really fabulous writer as well, wrote life after law. And Mm -hmm. she actually wrote the foreword for lawyer interrupted. So she and I have been um, collaborating this space for a long time. And we pitched a book to my fiction publisher, Wyatt McKenzie last year, just before uh, the world shut down actually. And Mm -hmm. so we signed a contract to write this book, how to leave the law, which is really going to explore transitions from law. Um, you know, since 2015, but now is really going to focus on the post pandemic world. And we're really, yeah. that. so we're in the throes of that. We're handing that in, in next year. That's going to be published in 2022 and, yeah. and I'm not giving up fiction. So I actually have my, <laughs> my, I'm moving, I'm changing lanes somewhat. So my next fiction project is going to be at the intersection of legal dramas and domestic suspense and we're hmm. pitching a new series and I have a new agent, so that's very exciting. And um, yeah, for a long time, people would always ask me why I don't write legal thrillers. I've, I've written one legal thriller, and yeah. um, people would ask why don't I do that. And I'd always say, "Well, I, you know, I really didn't practice like the sexy kind of law, and so yeah. it really wasn't like the stuff of of dramas." But the the more I move again away from that endpoint, the more I realize how I can t- kind of translate a lot of. Yeah, that I did do into, um, you know, criminal law setting, which is when it gets fun. And um, so yeah, so my next lane is going to be legal drama, domestic suspense, in in the fiction world. And um, yeah, more to that, more on that to come. Very cool. Yeah. And so where can people find you? Yeah, so my website is my name, www.amyampalazzari.com. You can sign up for my newsletter, spam free, and uh, keep in touch. And you'll hear more information about when How to Leave the Law is released. And hopefully when it is released, uh, the world will be reopened. And so Liz and I will be speaking in that circuit to transitioning lawyers. I loved when Lawyer Interrupted came out. I loved going to bar conferences and um, CLE classes to Convince lawyers to leave the law and also get CLE credit. The- <laughs> I always-
0: I it is me. an interesting intersection.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and inevitably, they would always ask me to, to reserve a section for how to write a novel too, which was always funny. yeah. So yeah. yeah, so we will we will definitely be doing that in 2022, um, assuming the world is. Looks I different.
0: love picturing life where we can get yeah. back. Together in person. So
1: I, for sure, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Amy, for coming and chatting with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you so much. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm thrilled I'm that you're doing this project. Thank you.
0: Oh, thanks.